a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Elizabeth Smart found special coverage with David Dijanovic on KSL News Radio. It was 20 years ago this month, Dave, that Utah teen Elizabeth Smart was found alive nine months after being kidnapped from her bedroom at Knife Point by a a disturbed man. I mean, but somebody that couldn't figure out who had kidnapped her for until they were finally found on State Street near the Southtown Mall in Sandy. Uh, I covered that story extensively from beginning to end and beyond. Um, I remember watching her in court. I remember seeing him in court, uh, her kidnapper. Uh, and speaking to her father, Ed Smart, in 2003, uh, after she was found during a TV interview I was doing with KSL 5 Television, I was working as a news reporter then. Um, here's what he told me during that interview the morning after she came home. I went in there last night and gave her a blessing. And, uh, you know, everyone loves her. And uh, and she's got to know how many people out there love her. Did you see her this morning? I, I kind of snuck in there and and peeked to make sure that this whole thing is real, you know. Oh, but uh, it's absolutely wonderful. It's wonderful to have her home. I was very early in my news career. Debbie, just a couple of years in, I was a, a news editor at the time. Um, and I, I didn't think there was any chance mm-hmm. uh, that they would find her. I remember we did stories for months and months. Well, you had an interesting seat to this story because as a news editor working behind the scenes, you are feverishly looking at all of the interviews that are coming in and editing those interviews, watching all of the video. And so you're processing this from a perspective that not even I as a reporter who was out in the field doing the interviews could, because you're seeing all of the interviews coming in and all of the reporters' coverage. Yeah, and it was an incredible situation because it was the first time that I ever really experienced the national media coming oh, in yeah. and descending droves. in in droves to cover this story. So we, we had not only the local interest, but the worldwide, the state, country, worldwide yeah. interest in this story. And at 1035, we're going to speak to the author of a new book that's being released today, who's going to take us backstage for those stories that we didn't know about at the time. What was going on with the media, what was going on with the police, and what was going on with the family who was in the throes of chaos that no family would ever anticipate being thrown into when a stranger enters their home in the middle of the night and kidnaps their 14-year-old girl from her bedroom in Salt Lake City. Um Chris Thomas, the author of the new book, Unexpected, joining the show at 1035. I've read it. It is a phenomenal book. I'm excited to share some of those behind-the-scenes stories. He takes us backstage. It's not even a peek behind the curtain. We are backstage for 
for uh, 250 pages what he recalls from the, the, that time because he was in charge of managing the media for the family. You and I lived it. We experienced it. We covered it every step of the way. But I think there's a generation of people, of, of kids, mm-hmm. that don't know this story. So a man breaks into the Smarts home in Salt Lake City in June of 2002. It's about June, it was June 5th. Finds Elizabeth, takes her at knife point, knife point um, wakes her up from a sleep, threatens to kill her and the whole family if she makes the sound. Her little sister, Mary Catherine, uh, in bed faking like she's asleep. It's just a smart move, a super smart move because she becomes a main main reason why they're able to figure out later in October who this man is. Um, so she fakes being asleep, and, and this man takes Elizabeth out of the home, deep into the woods, behind her home, and ties her up and, and, and leaves her tied up and does all kinds of unthinkable things. Um, and Mary Catherine is, and, and smartly waits for a while to get to her parents' bedroom. She's scared. She wants to make sure, probably make sure the house is, you know, imp, you know, he's not there waiting around the corner. How old is she? I, oh, she's just young. I can't eight, remember. Eight, nine her. years yeah, old. Yeah, really younger, young. Yeah. Uh, family makes the 911 call to police, and it it was like the, the all call went out to all of the members of the, of the, of the ward, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which they were members. Everybody starts showing up. Family starts begging for tips. The media comes from all over the place. Uh, and police literally have very little to go on. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. And even a state police helicopter is up over in... in, in over pretty close to her couch. I think I remember at one point Elizabeth saying that she could hear the chopper, but they never spot her, never spot this makeshift camp. Um, and she continues to be held captive by these these two people, uh, husband and wife, Wanda Barzee and Brian David Mitchell, but no one knows any of this at the time. And there were so many, uh, several missed opportunities to save her along the way. Uh, and free her sooner. First of all, the Salt Lake City Police Department ID'd the wrong man as the prime suspect and stuck with that. Uh, like their shoe was stuck to glue. It was just a really, really, I think it was one of the biggest mistakes um, that I've seen the police department, a police department make in the state. They took him into custody on a probation violation. He happened to be a handyman who also worked at the house at some point. But they 
Had a criminal history. Yeah, had a criminal yeah. history. Uh, caught him on a probation violation. Tossed him in jail. Well, in, in the weirdest turn of events, the man ends up, Richard Reese ends up dying in custody of a brain aneurysm a few months later. So he's taken into custody almost right away. So by mid-June, police think they have their man. And they're wrong. They're just flat out wrong. And then they're... Because, because this individual was not consistent with the description. The fingerprints on the bedpost did not match this man's fingerprints. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know about the fingerprints. Yeah. That's what's written. That's what we find in the book, Unexpected. We're going to speak to the author. I see Chris Thomas standing in the hall right now in about seven minutes. Um, they're hiding in plain sight, too. They're seen walking all over Salt Lake City, but nobody knows it's Elizabeth because they're all dre- This man, pretend, they're a kidnapper. He's a street preacher, right? He's all dressed in street preacher clothes, but really what he is is a pedophile. He's a pedophile, yeah. but he does. he's preaching the word of the Lord, and uh, the two women, uh, Wanda Barzee, his wife, and Elizabeth are, are with him, and they're dressed, and, and they're, you know, you, you can't see their faces, um, until yeah, all you could see is the eyes, right, right? Right. So until, um, she, Elizabeth convinces them they'd been spent the winter in San Diego because it's warmer there. And he's actually arrested, arrested in San Diego for trying to break into a church and he's released and fined and set free on probation. He tells Elizabeth with him, but she's somewhere else. I mean, they're just, they're homeless, but but he, there was another missed opportunity until she convinces Brian David Mitchell to return to Salt Lake City because she knows that's the only chance she's going to be freed. And lo and behold, this 911 call comes in in March of 2003. There's some homeless-looking people, according to the caller, walking along State Street right by Southtown Mall in Sandy. Um, could you tell me, is this where I call, um, if I think I see that Emmanuel they're looking for? Uh, this is. Where do you think you see him at? I think he is right here across from Southtown Mall on State Street. And she was right. That was the caller, Nancy Montoya. She was 100% spot on. She sees somebody dressed in, you know, looks like a weird hat and two women with him. And she says, I looked at him. I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I could tell when I saw his face. That's the man. That's when I called. Yep. And then three, four police officers from the Sandy Police Department show up, and Officer Troy Rasmussen knows right away, that's Elizabeth Smart in that that disguise. So she did not want to admit initially who she was. Isn't that right? That's correct. What did She, she tell you? She was deceitful in her answers. She wasn't telling us the truth. Uh, like Officer Jones said, Victor Quisada and Bill O'Neill arrived, and we took her aside. And uh, at that point, you know, I asked them, do you think that looks like Elizabeth Smart? And they go, yeah, it does, you know, her face and stuff. So I started addressing her as Elizabeth. And when I called her by the name Elizabeth, instead of Augustine, her head kind of dropped. And you could visibly see that she was upset. You could see her T-shirt moving. Her heart was pounding fast. You could see actually see that and she started to become upset um, 
Did yeah. she finally admit to the fact that she was Elizabeth? No. She, um... Nope. That was my interview with Officer Rasmussen in 2003 after he found Elizabeth Smart. She was whisked away to the the Sandy Police Department and then reunited with her dad at first and then eventually her entire family. But she did not want to admit that her name wasn't Augustine, which is the fake name that they had given her um, when she was on scene there. I will never forget, I was sitting uh, in my car when we learned, when we learned that she'd been found, and when I heard it, it was on KSL News Radio, yep. uh, I remember thinking, oh, they found her body, she was dead, and it took me a while to piece together that, that she had been found alive. I was sitting with my wife, I'll never forget uh-huh. where I was, and Debbie, it, it brought me to tears. Yeah. It, was, it was such a powerful story. Alive and well. We'll have more of the untold stories of what went on behind the scenes when the author of this new book joins us in four minutes. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.